This morning's message is, is unique. I'm going to be talking about uh, America. We are joining, we're going to be joining people from all over the United States, thousands, maybe millions, joining together to humble ourselves and to pray for our country. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, that would be you, right? If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and would pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven. I would forgive their sin and heal their land. Heavenly Father, I pray that that scripture that we have heard a hundred times would penetrate our hearts, Lord. And Father, that we would truly understand what it means to humble ourselves before you, to turn from our wicked ways, to confess you as God over all. Lord, may a spirit of supplication fall upon your people today. Oh God, may we become intercessors for America. Use your people. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have sermon notes available for you. Those are in your bulletin. But if you need some sermon notes, raise your hand and our ushers will bring them to you. The year was 1783. Infant America had fallen into a moral slump following the American Revolution. Only seven years after we had obtained our freedom... America plunged into the greatest moral decline in our history. Church, let me remind you that freedom and independence is not what makes America great. Being a republic is not the reason for our prosperity. Being a democracy is not what blesses America. But what makes America great is God. He is our only hope and he is the foundation of this great nation. So in 1783, only seven years after living free, America plunged into debauchery. Drunkenness was an epidemic. Out of a population of only five million people, three 100,000 were confirmed drunkards. Now, what do we know about alcoholism today? Usually when you speak to a loved one about your concern that they may be an alcoholic, what do they do? They deny it, right? They're like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, I don't drink too much. Are you kidding me? So if there are 300,000 confirmed, then there's probably another 300,000 who are in denial. Are you with me? This is the state of our nation. Profanity, it's hard to believe, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but in 1783, profanity was the most shocking of its kind. For the first time in the history of the American settlement, women were afraid to go out at night. Bank robberies were a daily occurrence. In examining the colleges at this time, which these were all started as Christian colleges to raise up ministers, 
Dr. Orr observed a poll of Harvard University in 1783 discovered not one believer in the student body. A poll of Princeton, a much more evangelical place, indicated two believers that were there. Students were engaged in rioting. They had burned down Nasser Hall at Princeton. They celebrated mock communion at William College. They forced the resignation of the president of Harvard. They burned a Bible in a public bonfire in New Jersey. Great church historian Kenneth Scott Lederette wrote this of this period. It seems that Christianity is about to be ushered out of all the affairs of mankind. The Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Marshall, who was a believer, wrote this to the Methodist Bishop of Madison, Virginia. The church is too far gone to ever be redeemed. Wow. Church, I remind you that freedom in and of itself is not what makes America great. By what you just heard, when we let go of all of our constraints and we plunge headlong into living out our freedoms, it actually leads to bondage. Write that down. It actually leads to bondage. And somebody needs to hear this today. What you think may be freedom and fun, something that you are controlling, the devil has deceived you. The devil has deceived you. And one day you're going to wake up and you're going to find out that you're no longer free. But you're a slave to this lifestyle. This is what the Spirit of the Lord says to you today. Wake up! You are in a cauldron of water. And the heat is slowly being turned up. And you can't even recognize it. God is warning you today. Repent! You are headed for trouble. Don't let stubborn pride hold you back. Repent and throw yourself on the mercy of God. In 1794, conditions reached their worst. And when all hope was lost, a Baptist minister, Isaac Bacchus, known for his praying, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The impression that was left upon him was this. There's only one power on earth that commands the power of heaven, and it is prayer. Pastor Bacchus wrote a plea for prayer for revival of religion. He mailed it to ministers of every denomination in the United States until until he reached all of them. In it, he pleaded... For each pastor to set aside the first Monday of each month to open his church all day to conduct extraordinary prayer for revival. Bishop Francis Asbury adopted those plans for the Methodist Church. Then Baptists, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, Reformed, and Moravians approved it until America became interlaced with a network of organized prayer meetings. As people humbled themselves and began to cry out to the Lord, God poured out a spirit of supplication. Susanna Wesley wrote this, No one can vigorously aspire unto God without 
divine assistance. You see something, church, that we desperately need is we need a spirit of humility and a spirit of prayer to come upon us. And we have to ask God for that prayer. Are you with me, church? I have not seen and experienced in my life a less prayerful time with, with all of the opportunities that God gives us to pray. It's a shame that we don't use it. We need to take the time that God has given us and we need to devote it to, devote it to prayer. We need to give ourselves to prayer. And we need to pray for more than one minute about things. Are you with me, church? It takes the discipline of prayer. And we don't possess it in our flesh. We must ask God for help. And I believe that God poured his spirit out on Isaac Bacchus to help him to pray and to stay at the altar. And when he became too uncomfortable and his knees were numb and his legs were all bound up with cramps, I believe he he moved around and he kept praying. Church, that is what we need. Well, the revival fires begin to burn in in 1798. Churches could not accommodate those that were inquiring about salvation. Multitudes were one to the Lord and America began to change. You've probably heard me say this before, but the church, write this down, the church is the only hope for America and not just any church, a praying church. Amen? A praying church. And listen, Christian heritage alone isn't going to get the job done. We need many churches coming together, seeking the face of God for a genuine move of God. So what has God called us to do? What what part do we play? Well, God has called us to pray. And I'm I'm so grateful for, for Don Davies. Don Davies has been leading a prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, 18 months, two years, Don, since last July. He's been leading a prayer every week, Tuesday, at his business. And what is the purpose for this prayer meeting? It is to pray, go ahead, to pray for revival. And he's been praying for Avon. And then, of course, we pray that it would spread to other places. But let's start with us, right? Let's start with with Avon. That has been his prayer. Church, we have to recognize that we have drifted far from God. We must acknowledge that our world is glorifying and lifting up sodomy as a beautiful thing. God has been thrust out of our schools and out of our Cities and the enemy is attempting to thrust God out of his own church. Christians, we must wake up. The church has become a lukewarm bath where Christians come together for cheering up and cheering on, but we've lost the conviction of the Holy Ghost. We've lost the fear of God and the holiness of God. We care more about lights and music than about pleasing God and making room for the Holy Spirit. Christian, shake yourself to the realities of what we see going around us. Unless we pray for revival, everything that we value about church 
and about what we have today will be taken from us. But if we pray, if we pray, God will send revival to our church. We will see it in our community. We, we will see it spread throughout our state. It's time to get serious. Church, when we call for prayer, don't treat it like it's another choice at the salad bar. That's the problem that the church is having. We will come to this service and we'll come to this because we like praise and worship. We do what feels good, but we neglect that which takes discipline. Write that down. We neglect that which takes discipline. But let me encourage you, if you are willing to put in the hard work, the hard work of prayer, God will honor your prayers and he will send revival that our land so desperately needs. Will you join us this Wednesday to seek God's face on behalf of our nation? As I shared earlier, the church is going to be open all day and then we'll have a service together at 7 p.m. In fact, if you would like to join us every Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have prayer together. We have worship. We have a time of prayer. Then we have a time of, of a time in God's word. Join us for prayer. Join us Saturday, May 7th at, at 9 a.m. in the ministry center. God said this, if my people, it's us, church, if my people that are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I would hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, God, hear our prayer for revival. In 1798, revival was spreading through the east, but the west was unaffected. The West back then was not California. The West was Ohio. The wild, wild West of Ohio and Kentucky. One of the Presbyterian pastors who had committed to join the prayer movement was James McCready of Logan County, Kentucky. He and his little flock pledged to be part of that prayer meeting. They prayed every Monday, but they also prayed on Saturday. And they also prayed on Sunday. Logan County was known as Rogue's Harbor. A stream of murderers, robbers, horse thieves, and counterfeiters to escape punishment from the Union had crossed the Allegheny Mountains and settled in southwest Kentucky. A court of justice had not convened in five years, and the outlaws consist, um, constituted a clear majority. A group of regulators was sent in from the government to subdue, subdue all of these desperados, and a knife and gunfight broke out, and the rogues drove all of the government regulators out of the community. There were two notable groups left, the wild, jeering, cursing, drinking frontiersmen and a small upper class of law-abiding but agnostic citizens. While praying for revival, Pastor McCready felt led of the Holy Spirit to host a four-day community communion service. The year was 1800. And a good group of people came to this small church. On the final day of this solemn occasion, 
having instructed the people to examine themselves for three days, lest they would partake of communion in an unworthy manner, a Methodist pastor, John McKee, was asked to preach. After he preached, he observed the people, in his own words, breaking up. We might say today, losing control. Although Pastor McGee was the visiting pastor, he politely spoke to one woman about gaining her composure. Here's what he said. Ma'am, you know these people. Presbyterians are for much order. They will not bear this confusion. Go back and be quiet. As I turned to go back, I was nearly falling under the power of God. I turned again and losing sight of the fear of man, I went through the house shouting and exhorting with all possible ecstasy and energy. And the floor of the church was soon covered with the slain. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens. The Spirit of God fell upon these people and they fell down under the power of the Holy Spirit. They were laying all over the church. This was a Presbyterian church, a visiting Methodist pastor. Pastor McGee said he had experienced this type of visitation before and he knew this to be an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. But Pastor McCready... The Presbyterian pastor wasn't so sure about what was happening. Together, they decided to host a second observance of the Lord's Supper. And by the way, Pastor McCready pastored three small Presbyterian churches. So he hosted another communion service at another one of his churches. It was July 1800. Unprecedented numbers began arriving a multitude of 11,000 people flocked to this tiny church. The largest city in Kentucky was Lexington, 1,800 people at this time. 11,000 people came to this little church. Since there was no room inside the church, they simply gathered around the church. And this became known as camp meeting. This was the very first camp meeting. The people began crying out to God as loud as the pastor was preaching. And here's what Pastor McGee said. Here, awakening and converting work was to be found in every part of the multitude. And even some things strangely and wonderfully new to me. Another Presbyterian pastor, Barton Stone, writes this. There on the edge of the prairie, multitudes came. The scene was new and strange. It baffled description. Many, very many, fell down as men slain in battle. They continued there for hours together in an apparently breathless and motionless state. Pastor Barton Stone returned to his church in Cane Ridge, Kentucky. He implemented these same prayer meetings and then announced a six-day camp meeting. Now, one of the things that I, as I was studying this, that I observed is that they took time to pray, and they let prayer take effect. This pastor went back to Cane Ridge, and he didn't say, tomorrow night or next week we're holding a revival. He didn't say that. That was July. 
He went back to his church. He told them we must pray. And then he planned this next meeting for August of 1801, one year later. Church, we must lay a foundation of prayer. Amen? We must lay a strong foundation of prayer. So in August of 1801, 20 to 25,000 people crowded around this pastor's little church. They sectioned off the people into manageable groups and ministers from the Presbyterian, the Methodist, the Baptist, all standing on stumps and in wagons, all preached simultaneously and continuously all day and all night. Pastor Barton writes this, We were all of one mind and one goal, the salvation of souls. Thousands were mightily converted at Cane Ridge. Some received visions of Jesus and many were called into ministry. Word of the great Kentucky revival spread and George Baxter, president of Washington College, visited the scene and recorded these words of the metamorphosis of this once sin-sick frontier system. On my way, I was informed by settlers on the road that the character of Kentucky travelers was entirely changed and that they were as remarkable for sobriety as they had formerly been for disillusionness and immorality. I have indeed found Kentucky the most moral place I have ever seen. A religious awe seemed to pervade the country. Upon the whole, I think the revival in Kentucky the most extraordinary that has ever visited the church of Christ. And church, that is what we're praying for. Amen? That is what we are expecting. A revival that changes our community. A revival that draws thousands. A revival that converts Souls. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team if you would please come. In just a few moments, we're going to close this service by opening our hearts to God. We are going to, I'm going to open up the altar and I'm going to invite you to come and we're going to join our hearts together, crying out to God for revival. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? The world is not going to repent of its sins. The world is not going to pray. It's up to us to lead the way. We must humble ourselves before God. We must repent and cry out to God for mercy. We must pray for revival. We must say this to God. Write this down. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Allow me to retain no iniquity in my heart so that you will hear me. Hallelujah. In just a moment, as I said, we're going to come to the altar. But before we do, I felt burdened this week.
that there are people in this congregation, you have one foot in the world and you have one foot in this church and God is saying, your time is up. Your time is up. This is a very special word from God. You are not to go on any longer and if you go on any longer, you will receive the results of your hypocrisy. God says, enough. You must turn to him today. Would you bow your heads right now because God wants to give those individuals his mercy, not his judgment. But you will bring his judgment on yourself unless you repent. If you know that's me, pastor, I've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Nobody knows it but me and God. God is calling you to himself. If you're sitting on anywhere from our middle aisle over towards this piano side, and you know I've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and God is speaking to me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and to repent. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Is there anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Is there anyone in the balcony? I've got one foot in the world. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And one foot in the church. Is there anyone else? Maybe you're seated on the opposite side of the piano in this lower section. I've got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Is there anyone in our balcony? God is crying out to you. Yes, sir. I see your hand. This is your day of mercy. Receive it. Do not let this moment pass, church. As I said, I was burdened all week. And the Lord said, let them receive my mercy today because judgment will come tomorrow. You do not want the judgment of God. He knows you today. He calls you by name. Would you pray with me? Pray out loud, dear God. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me for having one foot in the world. And one foot in the church. I've been a hypocrite. Forgive me God. Wash my sins away. Give me mercy. And not judgment. Oh God. Give me mercy. I will follow you. I will be true. Give me your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. We have purposely ended the service early that we may come and bow around this altar. I will not beg you to come. I will not beg you to come. But church, we must come. We must pray. Would you stand to your feet? The altars are open. The worship team is going to lead us. Come and let's cry out to God for mercy. Let's pray for revival.